Quick, what are you doing to disciple your kids? Catechids can help. Catechids is a little book with 100 simple questions and answers to help parents teach their young children the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, to lead them to faith in Jesus, and equip them to walk in the Spirit every day and love God. I wrote Catechids for my own kids, and they love it. It's become a tool that's been blessing Christian families and churches far and wide. Get Catechids on Amazon today or by going to thethink.institute. This is uh, the, the longest I've ever let this thing go, and I gotta tell you, I don't think I'm putting a cut anytime soon. Don't, don't do it. I was thinking of going visiting uh, Jeff Durbin out west for a little bit. I think he'd, I, I, I pass his entry into the door of his church uh, qualifications. I, uh, I think you would, and you know, um, I did I tell you what church Elisa and I have been attending out here? Is you it know? Joe Thorne's church? Yeah, yeah, Redeemer. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so I got. Um, I'm very grateful for his ministry. Me too. And you know, he and and uh, Jimmy have this tendency of calling me out on their podcast whenever they need a new covenant theology whipping boy. Yeah. They uh, <laughs> yeah like um, the last episode they were talking about the episode was called a covenant of life and they were talking about the covenant that God supposedly made with Adam in the Garden of Eden and. As I'm listening, okay, I'm first of all, I listened to the episode knowing I was going to disagree with it. Um, and as I'm listening and they're describing it, I'm like, oh, you know, there's some good points here, but I don't think that's, you know, necessarily uh, biblical. As I'm listening, Joe goes, now, Joel said a case, you know, and he starts talking about me and how I, he's raising the very objections that I have uh-huh. um, only to then mock the biblical view which is new covenant theology Um, basically what you're saying is he does on his podcast what i do on my podcast when i need when when i need to disagree with someone theologically i just mentioned joel sedicase and and how you and i are on different pages on a couple things i'm kidding you don't do that that. no i listened to your podcast and guess what i was going to start your i was going to start this with a plug now i'm not going to do it forget it. i'm kidding i only ever give you good plugs joel listen hey listen you guys want a good podcast to listen to in all seriousness, go listen to the Christian optimist by pastor Rafe. It is very good. Rafe. I'm not just blowing sunshine up your skirt, man. I'm telling you, this is a, <laughs> this is first of all, stop wearing a skirt. You're not Harry Styles and that's, and neither should he wear a skirt. Oh but boy. Listen, all seriousness. It's a good podcast, man. I, there are not very many podcasts from people that I know personally that I enjoy because I, I don't know, you can, whatever, you know, a prophet is, is uh, only without honor in his hometown and that sort right. of thing. But I genuinely enjoy your podcast, man. It's got a, a certain, I've told you this before. It's got a certain Dan Bongino esque quality to it where I feel like I'm listening to, I'm listening to a sort of bemused outrage. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, look, Look how crazy this is. Yes. And we're going to break this down and we're going to laugh at it, but it's also outrageous that this is happening, but we're going to sort of laugh about it and we're going to enjoy ourselves while we do it. And I appreciate I, that. I like that, man. It's good. It's, well, it's, it's thank enjoyable. You. I've been having fun doing it. You've been a big inspiration. You've had this thing going for quite a while and I'm only eight or nine weeks into mine, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been good. It's been really fun. Well, the ability to do a, a monologue and to make it compelling is not easy. In fact, you know, some of the feedback that I've gotten 
is that I'm much better when I'm interviewing somebody or when it's like you and me having this kind of conversation yeah. where we can play off each other. I it's don't a totally different thing, isn't it? Very different because right now it's like you and I can have a conversation. Yes, it's remote, but I mean, but it's, it's, it's conversant. Whereas yeah. when we, when you do the monologue, you're speaking out, you're, you're talking to a machine, mm -hmm. you're speaking out into the void. It's a lot harder. So I can well, you know what's interesting is I prepare for those podcasts, Joel. I've gone back and forth on how much I should prepare in terms of like specific notes and guidance. Oh yeah, because you know you got to do some preparation. You got to you know, especially when I'm dialoguing, dialoguing when I'm cutting through like the YouTube clips and things like that. Right. I got to know exactly where I'm gonna, where I'm cutting, where I'm going to. Um, right. But I've gone back and forth on what makes a better episode. Is it a, is it really sticking, not to a script, but to a pretty straight line of thinking that I prepared beforehand, or is it more, I know where I'm going. Let's see where this takes me. And yeah. I go back and forth. And so anyway, well, where, where do you, where did you land on that? Because, uh, I've wrestled with the same thing because if you have your notes, I mean, you, you get, you get more quality information out there and it helps right. you organize it, but it's also, you know, it sounds a little scripted. It sounds very scripted and, and you sound like you're reading as opposed to speaking freely, which yeah, people don't necessarily want to, listen to you read something they want to right. listen to you know a podcast is just not that kind of format so where did you land on that or where have you landed right now it depends on the podcast because some of the stuff that i get into i really want to make sure i'm very careful with my words uh and i i know that if i if i just start going i can go into kind of some spaces where not necessarily as careful and specific as i'd like to be in right. general it's more of a bullet point you know I, I do my work i prepare beforehand and then i i, I just go with it but when yeah. I'm touching on something that's going to be a little, perhaps, uh, more sensitive to my listeners, uh, and I want to be particularly careful, I'll make sure I get my wording right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably no, similar. I'm guessing it's kind of similar to what you do. I, I, I will say when I'm doing these things, you know, I will, I do. I mean, you've seen my planning sheets. I mean, I think, I assume. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. You're. I got one pulled up right now. Yeah. So, you know, I'll typically do an outline and the outline that I follow, look at this, look, we're giving away free podcasting advice. We should charge for this, man. This is quality stuff. People are listening right now and some listener is going to start the next big Christian philosophy and apologetics podcast based on this very information that we're sharing. So whoever you are, send the check to the Think CO, the Think Institute. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to tell you where I'm located though. All right. So um, I send it to Rafe. Okay. So here's, here's what I do. I, Just mark an envelope, Chicago. It'll come to me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, actually, I saw this um, tangent. I saw this video. Um, you know, it'll take too much time to explain. Just just forget <laughs> about it. All right. Anyway, let's talk about the, the format that I typically use is I'll go, and I got this from Doug Wilson. I'll do an intro. Okay. Like background on the, on the subject. Mm -hmm. Then we've got a, there's a big idea and then three supporting points and then objections, and then a conclusion. Mm. And it's sort of it's sort of my own take on like the classical rhetoric outline. And that's the outline I want to follow today because, man, we've got a doozy of a question here. And mm -hmm. I posted it on, on Facebook as well as Parlor, MeWe, and Twitter. And the responses that I've gotten have been hilarious, man. Have they? Yeah. So all I did was I, I posted on Facebook and I didn't give any kind of preface to saying like, we're going to talk about this in the podcast. Help me think about this issue. All I did was I simply posted this question. Is COVID-19 revenge from mother nature or payback from mother nature? Uh -huh. 
And so many Christians started getting concerned that Joel Sedekes is turning into an environmentalist wacko, as Rush Limbaugh likes to put it. Because people people would say, what? COVID, uh, uh, Mother Nature doesn't exist. And uh, no. And like, like, I don't know, you can go and read the responses, but, but all these people like, like, you know, no, but it's judgment from God. And it's like, well, okay. I'm, I'm not saying that it is payback from mother nature. Right. I want to know what you think. And so I was throwing a little red meat. It was to get people talking. It was to get people um, th- thinking, I'm not going to say worked up, but I wanted people to be thinking about this to kind of yeah. throw some, some, you know, preparatory red meat out there. And, uh, and, and, and then hopefully, they can gain some insight into how to address this question as we talk about it now today. So you want well, to, uh, well, I'll tell you what as well, Joel, I, I know, uh, and what we're going to get here at some point today. I know we will. Uh, I wrote a piece, on my blog, uh, about a month, nah, a few months ago called entitled is COVID-19 God's judgment. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That, that article made its way into the parlor universe okay. and, uh, got bounced around, uh, a few thousand times, and uh, the the amount of hatred that spewed out from even asking the question is really amazing. It was it was a uh, it was really an incredible insight for me to see what I wrote was a biblical defense of how God judges both through natural both through natural consequences as well as specific consequences. His judgment being worked out in this life. Yeah. Um, and I made us ask questions. I didn't, you know, I, I just laid out the biblical plan of judgment. Mm. And uh, to see the secular atheistic world interact with these ideas, mm-hmm. w- it was so much hatred aimed towards me as the writer. Uh, so even to, to, to jump in and to even ask, is it Mother Nature? Uh, that, that al- to ask this question of what is the purpose, the telos of... Mm-hmm something like covid uh you're in you're in the hated category so why why would that be is that why why do you think that that is why would that hatred come from the left because is it just because you're making a theistic appeal and you're not saying that it's a direct result because we're going to talk about where this question is coming from recently right it's coming from you know prince harry and um antonio guterres the um, Secretary General of the United Nations. But why do you think that that vitriol would come from people on the left end of the political spectrum and the ideological spectrum? Well, why would because I would think that they would be all about the idea that it's judgment and it's it's um or is it just is it just you're not attributing it to like judgment on environmental fact uh, behavior, but more like moral behavior? Yeah, well, I think it's a number of things. One of the things I, m- I think makes me angry is that when you make God in your own image, and you take away the reality that God has a God of judgment, mm-hmm. then when someone comes along and, and brings you back to the word of God and says, like, prophetically, just like, you know, I'm, I'm writing a sermon on Micah right now, and Micah goes back and forth between, you know, the judgment that's coming as well as the deliverance that will ultimately come through Christ. No one wants to hear that prophetic voice, and no one wants to be reminded that the God of the Bible is a God of judgment. Okay. Right? Okay. I think Micah yeah. at some point, and I can pull this verse up, it's Micah... Uh, pardon me, Micah 5. Uh, let me just pull this quote. Micah 5. 
Oh gosh, I don't have. Oh, here it is. Micah two eleven. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, "I will preach to you of wine and strong drink," oh, yeah. he would be the preacher for this people. Right. And and I think that's what it is. I think that the world what they want to hear is they want a God of love and not of judgment. And so yeah. when someone comes along and says, "Here's what the Bible says," I think that it's an immediate. How dare you? Yeah. And what that is showing is not that they're atheists, but that they have defined their own God. Ooh. You know, um, what's the psalm that says, "The fool has said in his heart." There is no God. Mm. And when we when we hear fool, we think that's an intellectual judgment. But it's not. It's a moral judgment. Uh, when you want to live immorally, when you want to oppose God, you can't shake the reality, the, the sense that we are born with, that we, that we possess inherently, as Calvin called it, the census divinitatis. You can't shake that sense that God is watching you. Right. And so you have to do everything you can to eschew God from your thinking so that you can eschew him from your behavior. Yeah. And and so um yeah, yeah, that the idea that God is judging is now now okay, so let's dive into our topic, Rafe, because what's really oh. fascinating is you can't shake the census divinitatis, the, the God sense that we have. And so what people end up doing inevitably, because we are worshipful creatures, we're designed to be that way they end up creating a God, as you put it, in their own image. Um, and what they'll do is they'll turn and serve the cre the creature, the created yeah. thing, as Romans 1 says, rather than the creator. And now this is what's going on. And what I want to do is I want to pull up. I know you've got some commentary from a Christian thinker that you want to share. And I, I've got um, some articles, that two articles that I want to um, um, uh, put forward. And the first one is let me pull this up now look at this first let's start let's let's go from the lesser to the greater all right now this is um this is a statement from prince I got so much i want to talk oh man this is gonna be a good one let's this, get, come on bring us in there right, joel all right, all right all right all right check this out okay so i'm gonna pull this up this is from prince harry Prince Harry, the uh, uh, he's not the crown prince, but he's now. Don't a, rip on the Brits too hard here, Joel. All right. Let's, listen, those ethnic. You know, I'm a good my, British boy myself, so go easy on him. You know, uh, I, I, that's my. Um, if you trace back my ancestry, I'm, I'm British as well. But I will say, you got to go pretty far back because my more recent ancestors actually fought against the Brits um, in the Revolutionary War. So I, I, I feel like opposing England is really. It's it's in my DNA, but let's see. Was let's the Revolutionary see. War a civil war? Would you say? We'll save that for another day. All right, Woo! go. I don't know. Maybe I have to think about it. Uh, uh, okay, Prince Harry. Now this is coming from the U.S. Sun. Okay, the Sun is an English newspaper, a, a UK newspaper. What, what would you say? A, a British newspaper? Um, but this is the UK, the U.S. version of it. But look, here's what it says: uh, Prince Harry has suggested COVID is punishment from Mother Nature, as he urged everyone to, quote, be a raindrop, end quote, and repair the earth. Oh, man. Uh, the Duke of Sussex, that's Prince Harry, has made the claim as he launched a new Netflix-style streaming platform for climate documentaries, adding that he'd also questioned having children as the world will be, quote, on fire, end quote, when they grow up. Okay. All right, man. Is this just? This is rich. And look, this. So basically, basically, it's like the M Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening. 
You ever okay. seen that movie? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. It, it's you know, M Night Shyamalan went pretty downhill fast after The Sixth Sense. Uh, he yeah. made signs, it, you know, that was it was okay, and then it pretty yeah. much just derailed after that. He made that but, anti-Republican movie, um, the one uh, where they're in the woods as well, and they're all. Oh they're yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, there's an irony to that movie actually, but anyways, um, the village. That's called the village. However, that's not an endorsement of any political party by me pointing that out. It's just an analysis. However, in the happening, the whole point of the movie is Mother Nature rebels and sends a plague that causes people to kill themselves, and so oh, it's just kind of creepy, got creepy it. thing. Got it. Well, you know what it remind you know what it reminded me of? Huh. Moana. Huh. Yeah, yeah. There's very Mother Earthy, naturey type flair in that movie. Th- think think about Taka is this isle is well it's this evil goddess who is wreaking havoc and and destroying the you know the Polynesian lands and the oceans and and it's causing their coconuts to die and it's bringing blight and plague and it's because Taka has had something stolen from her the heart of the island was stolen from her it was pillaged by what's his name Maui. Maui is sort of the champion, sort of the um, the archetypical man. The archetyp- I mean, he's a demigod, but he's really, you know, he's he sort of represents the best and the most powerful of mankind. He takes the heart of the island, and now um, Taka is wreaking havoc and 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 getting vengeance on the people. And it's not until Moana, um, the the softer and gentle counterpart and yet adventurous and bold sort of representing the new um humanity the the more enlightened shall we say humanity returns the heart of the island to taka that she then calms down and greenery and lush foliage and peace um uh prevail and and that's you know that's sort of a parable isn't it sort of a a sort of a a uh a green parable for this kind of argument that mother nature is angry at us because we've taken something from her. We've, we've pillaged something from her and now she's angry. So because we've polluted her air and unleashed islands of trash into her seas now and released, you know, CO2 into her oxygen uh, atmosphere. Now she has unleashed this um, virus. And that's sort of what we're getting from, Antonio Guterres as well. Let me pull this up. Uh, Antonio Guterres is the Secretary General of the United Nations, so something like a uh, president of the the world government there. And um, I just said that just to trigger all the conspiracy theorists who watch our uh, who watch our headline our, our show. So look at this. Um, humans have broken our planet with quote suicidal war end quote on nature UN chief warns with apocalyptic fires floods and cyclones becoming the new normal now this isn't directly about COVID but it is saying something like we have angered Mother Earth we've angered Gaia the world spirit if you will not that these people would say that they believe in spirits but we've angered the planet and now the planet is angry and they've uh and and has unleashed apocalyptic Rafe, look at this language apocalyptic that's that's biblical language right. that's that's reifying deifying language being given to mother earth to mother nature you know what do we make of this 
Well, let's start with just some obvious stuff, right? So, I mean, this is like 101, like basic kids catechism stuff, right? So there's no such thing as mother nature. So in terms of trying to understand mother nature as a deity, as a person who thinks, who has a purpose, who has motivation, who is uh, interested, um, that's kind of like, you know, you put mother nature in the kind of Santa Claus bucket. It's mythology. Uh, it's, it's not real. Right. Um, rather, the God of the Bible is the entity. He's a triune God of the Bible. He has yeah. created the earth. He declared all that he created good. The earth has been filled with sin, and even the earth itself groans in the pains of childbirth. Yeah. So we can understand, from a biblical worldview, we can do a couple things all at the same time, and this is where it gets very complex. From a biblical worldview, we can reject any idea whatsoever of Mother Nature and her, in, in a sense of an entity called Mother right. Nature, being angry with humanity over the way we've treated the environment. Right. Um, that's it, it's there's nothing there and and prince harry is uh foolish to uh to suggest that it's a silly argument yeah uh but not only is it silly we as christians need to understand the language that what is being proposed and frankly what is oftentimes argued for like the movies we're watching right this is where this comes into play it's a subtle idea that there is a deity behind the world that the actual that what god considers a created matter his creation mm -hmm. is itself deified. And we hear that in a lot of different ways. We hear it from Prince Harry, from movies. It, you know, it, in a lot of world religions today, it, that's actually part of the world religion. Um, yeah. that the elements themselves are deified. So we can reject that. And at the same time, we can lay down another principle, which we get right out of the book of Genesis, which is that we have a mandate from the God of the Bible who created the environment, called it good, humans as the pinnacle of God's creation, set as stewards over the environment, over the earth. We're called to use the earth to benefit mankind, to actually build society, and to steward it with the intentionality not to destroy it, not right. to be careless with it. Right. Right. So we can at the same time, we, we, we can walk and chew our gum at the same time, right? We yeah. can say, no. We don't believe in Mother Nature. We don't believe that this is some kind of punishment. Check, done, and a conversation in a sense from a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we can say, however, part of humans' mandate and steps of obedience humans ought to be taking is to meaningfully care for the environment. So that's a starting place, some groundwork for us to move forward with. Yeah, and we see this all the way going back to Genesis, when God created the man. Before he, before, I believe, well, now i got to go back and check, but I believe it was before he even created woman. I mean, this is like prime directive stuff. He said, oh, you know what? It must have been after he created Eve because, uh, or, or the, you know, the woman before she was even named Eve, because he says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's hard to do by yourself. <laughs> that's it's not good for the man to be alone. Um, and he, he tells humanity to fill the earth. To you can get yourself in cultural trouble with that one, Joel. That's a whole right. other conversation. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Good. Bring it on. But look, let me see. I'm going to fight. Rafe, I'm in fighting. I'm always in fighting right now, man. This is good. It's the Wednesday brings it out in me. You know, know. It's, it must be you. It's because you live in, in, uh, in Chicago. Look, I'm out in the placid uh, green fields of uh, the Tri-Cities out here. You're still in Chicago. You're combative. You bring, it, that must, it must be your fault. I appreciate but, it. I try to do see. that to you. I appreciate it. Look, the, the mission that God gave us was not only to fill the earth, mm -hmm. but to subdue do the earth you know speaking of being out here in the west burbs 
uh, about a month ago, uh, three weeks ago, I was driving around and I saw this massive, gigantic plume of smoke. And like any man, I, I figured, well, it looks like there's some kind of disaster. I'm going to drive over there and see what's going on. I want to, I want to see, I want to, maybe I can help. Maybe I can observe. Maybe there's just something cool going on. I don't know. So I, I follow the smoke to its base and I see a crew of about five or six guys dressed in yellow vests. Uh, I believe they were wearing masks and what they were doing, Rafe, is they were burning the prairie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this massive prairie out by where I live, this, this park, it's like a forest preserve, but it's like a prairie preserve. And they were doing a burn, a controlled burn of right. the land. Now, why were they doing that? Yeah. You you already know. I already know. It's you burn it now so that it doesn't get out of control later by accident, and you have something like a wildfire on your hands. It's like the guys who set the avalanches off to make sure it doesn't you know cause an avalanche on someone who's on somebody. Right. Exactly. And it's a way of preserve. And guess what? It's good. Not only is it good for humanity not to have wildfires burning everywhere, but it's good for the land itself. It's it releases nutrients into the soil. It opens up. Uh, uh, Pine cones, which, by the way, cannot be opened outside of a fire. And those pine cones then repopulate, you know, the, the forest and things like that. Is that and, true? Huh. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, look it up. I remember learning that, you know, in school. Uh, but it was, you know, it was government school, so who knows. But um, the, the controlled burn is good for the environment. Now, this is what God has called us to do to steward the earth and to use the earth and to benefit the earth. And in order to do that, you have to care for it. It's like if I give my my uh, kids, you know, five dollar bills, and they take these uh, th- these these dollar bills and they crumple one of them up and chuck it, and they go, "Well, God gave me this, or uh, my dad gave me this to use, so I can do whatever I want with it." And they crumble it up and rip it up and throw it. You know, that dollar bill is not going to be any good. Right. Um. So, God's given us nature. God's given us a, a planet. We shouldn't just crumple it up. We should use it. We should invest it. That's called stewardship. But that doesn't mean, but, uh, you know, just like money makes a, a great servant, but a terrible master. Right. The same is true for nature. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you start talking about nature, I think that there's a handful of um, questions that set people off into angry land um, that are good to wrestle through and that don't have as simple answers as uh, the, you know, the secular world around us would like to, like, would like to give. The first question. The first question is, is, and I know this is necessarily the entire direction of the show, so I, I, but, but real questions we should answer. Yeah. Is environmental, uh, is global warming a real thing, right? So across the board, we've got debate and disagreement from people, right? So whether or not scientists are in debate and disagreement over this, just in terms of general populace and population, there's disagreement on whether it's a thing. And so Christians should be very interested in that. Why? Well, because... We were called by God to steward this environment. So in a very real sense, if if man-made uh, global warming is happening, and if the results of that are such that we're solely going to destroy our environment, that is something Christians should be interested in. We should very much be interested in that. We should care about that deeply. That's Correct. if it's happening. Correct. And if it's happening to a degree that it's going to be irreversible. I mean, that, that it's beyond what's a normal kind of trajectory of the earth kind of being the earth. So... We should ask that question, and we should know out of the gate. We want to know what the answer to that is because we have a commission from God. We're basing ourselves off the Word of God. We have reason to care for the environment. Number two is, 
depending on where we fall on that, if we discover that man is in some way responsible for this, um, are the solutions being posed realistic and helpful? Are this, and so you got to look at it, what's actually happening, and two, are the solutions being posed realistic? And let me just throw something out there real quick just to kind of mess with us a little bit. Yeah, I'm reading this article on uh, Tesla cars right now. Let me read this quote. It's talking about a study that was done at the University of Cologne published by the LFO Institute in Munich. And they said that electric vehicles have significantly higher CO2 emissions than diesel cars. That really? is due to the significant amount of energy used in the mining and processing of lithium, cobalt, and manganese, wow. manganese, which are critical raw materials for the production of electric cars or batteries. It goes through all the numbers next. So when I ask that next question, my question is not, right, my, my question is asking if we discover there is a problem and Christians should be interested in the solution to it, what are real solutions mm -hmm. that mean something? Because the world throws... Uh, fake cardboard hollow solutions at us and sells it as the thing we should be all about. Yeah. And if you don't go along with their solutions, the world solutions, you, you therefore hate uh, the environment. You hate right. people. You right. hate, you know, exactly. It's, it's look, there's, there's, there is, if we address this presuppositionally, Rafe, there is such a contradiction at the heart of statements like this. Like, you know, what Prince Harry is getting at and uh, Antonio Guterres, here's here's the there's a fundamental contradiction. OK, on the one hand, the contra it, it they're, they're saying something like this. Let me phrase it this way. Um, if we really cared about people, we would want to fight the coronavirus. OK, and the coronavirus is happening because we have angered Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we need to pursue solutions that help Mother Nature, even if they're detrimental to human life and even if they end up killing some people. What? Wait a minute. When did that switch happen? Because on the one, you started off trying to sell me on this by saying, if I truly cared about human life, I'd want to save human life. Okay, so now that's how you entered me into this conversation. But now the solutions that you're proposing are ones that are going to inhibit economic growth, inhibit industrialization, inhibit uh, you know the uh, freedom, inhibit the ability for medical advancements, which by the way save lives. And it's like, wait, wait, I thought I thought you all you all cared about human life. Now you're what what they're revealing as you take the argument to its conclusions. What started out as this purportedly pro-humanistic uh, concern is actually rooted and resulting in an anti-humanist ideology. These people don't care about human lives, at least, at least not consistently, because if they did, they would try to come up with solutions that are um, pro-human flourishing, pro-human right. well-being. And I'm sorry, but big government global control you know taking the the control of economic decisions out of the hands of the entrepreneurs and people operating at the local levels and giving them to uh transnational bureaucracies like the united nations like that's what antonio guterres is uh is at the, the helm of and you know his solutions all have to do with operating at the, the global level because that's his whole bag right prince harry this global you know, mm -hmm. globalist trans. I mean, yeah, he's he's there in the UK, but but he's a globalist. He's 
you know, he's he's not a local control guy. Right. So these kind of solutions, Rafe, they do not benefit the everyman. They do not benefit the guy who's trying to make a living for his family, you know, operating in his uh, his his garage or right. or uh, you know in his shop. Right. And, and to put it to put it another way, I, I remember maybe six months ago or so. You remember Greta Thunberg when she was the the spokesman for Mother Nature? Yeah. Uh, and this poor girl, she she got in way over her head. Yeah, uh, poor and thing. So she's just a, a young teenager, so I, I don't I don't want to rip on her Absolutely particularly. Not. Sure. But, but what was people bought into some of the stuff she was saying without thinking about it. And one of the things she was calling for was a total carbon, uh, like zero carbon emissions by whatever the date was, 2030, right. 2040, right. or something like that. Um, and the reality of such a proposition, while at the surface level, you say, okay, we've got a problem. Finally, someone's giving us a solution. Right. But you're nailing the point. What is our aim here? If the aim is human flourishing, cutting, cutting carbon emissions to zero by that date would essentially, she's saying, we want to live like the Flintstones. And the problem with saying the Flintstones is the way we want to live is to deny, is to say, well, actually, what we're looking for is an average lifespan of about 28 to 35 years old. We're looking for no new uh, innovation when it comes to medical health, no new innovation when it comes to uh, virus control, no new innovation when it comes to uh, living standards. And uh, so, so, But that's the when the solution is undercutting the very purpose you're saying the solution is being designed for, right. you're in you're literally the definition of hypocrisy. Right. And so all I think our role is, and exactly kind of like you said presuppositionally, we want to be biblically aware. We've yeah. got these commands from God as Christians. Yeah. We are to steward the world around us. And if we get to a place where we see someone blatantly not c caring for the, the world, right, then we should be angry about that and we should have good solutions for it. Yeah. Um, that means something. Yeah. The, uh, well, yeah. Amen. And and you're right. We don't want to blast Greta Thunberg, but there are people who put her in that position. Right. And and those people, I'm perfectly fine blasting. And I, I hope, uh, look, not. I just didn't want to pick on a little girl. So <laughs> <laughs> if there's if there's someone else uh, that's, that's right. saying the same stuff, then we can pick that's on right. them. Well, but where did she speak? Who gave her the platform? It was the UN. It was Antonio right. Guterres. Right. It was it was that ilk of people. Mm -hmm. And 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 look, if I'm if I'm messing with Antonio Guterres, I'm punching up. Yeah. The dude has so much more. Uh, uh, you know, influence than somebody like you or me. But the difference is we have the advantage because we've got God on our side. Right. So we're David going up against Goliath. Now, let's speaking of having God on our side, I want to point to a, a, a few scriptures to help us think biblically because we've we've ripped into the secular perspective here pretty well. I, what I want to do again, presuppositionally, let's look at the biblical um, uh, uh, truth here and dig into that a little bit more. And then I know you've got some great commentary that, that you want to share as well. And in the interest of time, we'll keep going here, but sure. I want to direct our attention to Romans 11, because until we understand what Romans 11 teaches, we're, we're going to get this whole debate wrong. See what we're doing here is we're going, okay, who's the, who's the, um, the beneficiary, who's the intended beneficiary of nature? Is it nature her, herself, quote unquote? Is it Gaia herself? Is it mother nature herself? Do we serve her? Or or are, are we the intended beneficiaries? Okay, that's that's sort of like the conservative alternative to the, the leftist um, uh, uh, position. Okay, but what if there's not middle ground, Rafe, but what if there's higher ground? 
And that's what I that's what I believe is the, the true solution here. See, I'm going to say, in terms of the usufructor of nature, which is, by the way, a great word. I got it from this book. Can you I'm say reading. that again? Say the again. usufructor. The usufructor. The usufructor is um, the legal beneficiary of another's labor. Okay. Um, so like if like, 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 uh, uh, you know, a, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. There is, good. there is, but, but if you're going to use it in this sentence, you need to use it at least three more times with three other people this week without caveating what the word is. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see about that. Right, uh, as long as nobody miss, mishears what I'm saying. Um, the, um, creation has a usufructor. Now, in ancient times when there were kings, you know, Louis the 14th, who said, l'état c'est moi, which means the state is me. I am the embodiment of the nation, of the state. There was this idea that the king was the rightful beneficiary of the labor of his subjects. Okay. Now, biblically speaking, that's not true. The, the king does not own the labor of the people. The, the people, the subjects are not slaves. The king is not the master. So that was a perversion of, um, of sort of the biblical teaching about government and things like that. But creation as a whole has a usufructor, has a rightful beneficiary of the labor of the creatures, the human creatures. And that, according to scripture, according to Romans 11, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 34 through 36 reads this way. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Now we know that, um, that Jesus Christ is the fullest re uh, revelation of God. And we know that God has given all things. So God is the rightful authority of creation because he is the author of creation. And according to Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given over to him. So Jesus Christ is the rightful sovereign, and he's also the rightful usufructor or beneficiary of all of our labors. So when we're coming up with when we're diagnosing environmental problems, Rafe, and when we're also proposing solutions for those problems, we need to start with the presupposition that Jesus is Lord and that both uh, problems are problems insofar as he says that they're problems. Solutions are solutions insofar as they glorify him. So any solution that is going to supplant the rightful authority of Jesus with nature herself, quote unquote, or a global government like the UN, mm -hmm. or just sort of human well-being in the abstract as sort of an ultimate goal and not a, not a secondary goal to the glory of Jesus Christ is going to fall short. Now the Bible says that, that sin is falling short. Sin mm -hmm. is missing the mark. Uh, sin is disobedience of God, failing to put God as, so what we don't want to do is we don't want to propose and, and put forward a environmental approach that falls short of the glory of God. That would be sinful. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if we're going to put forward a proposed solution that doesn't put Jesus Christ as first and foremost, it is going to lead to death. Right. Greta Thunberg's proposed solutions, AOC's proposed solutions, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm -hmm. um, 
anybody, left or right, if you're putting forward a solution that does not put Jesus Christ as first and foremost, to whatever degree you stray from putting Jesus as first and foremost, you are to that degree promoting death instead of life. Mm. And that is something very sobering. It's something very serious. It's something we need to be very thoughtful about whenever we are proposing our solutions. So now that being said, I, I want to know, A, do you agree with that? B, what, what, what was the analysis that you found? I know you found some analysis from a Christian thinker um, yeah. as well. well. Let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Uh, so, and this is one I've, I, I've wrestled with a while ago, especially when I was reading Cornelius Van Til. I did a whole seminary class a couple of years ago, just reading as much on him as I possibly could. And one of the questions is, with the point you're making right now, what does that mean for how Christians can work alongside non-Christians who are, when it comes to issues that uh, we might be able to find some level of commonality, not necessarily common ground in the sense of what our purpose for fighting for for um, good, uh, healthy nature is. So let's just say, for example, we both say, yes, we want to steward the environment well. We want, we want to take care of the environment. We don't want to just recklessly destroy things around us. And if there's someone out there who's saying, wait, I'm not a Christian. I agree with you on that. And here's meaningful solutions. And as the Christian, we can say, actually, I'm looking in on that. And that's, a, that's actually a good solution. Uh, is that possible in your, what you just said, is that possible to say to that person as from your position? Well, how would you answer that question? I would say it's possible. But what, my, what Cornelius Dentil would say is, is that uh, so long as someone is doing, even if they don't understand the purpose and the reason behind why they're building uh, why they're doing things. So the example he uses, a classic one, I've shared this with you, Joel, is when the Israelites were building the temple, they asked, uh, they, they had cedars from Lebanon shipped in. They had artists from surrounding nations come in because they were incredible at their craft. And they came in, and then what happened was uh, God's people had been given very specific instructions for what the temple ought to be. And those artists who came in had to meet the specific instructions. And even when they were laboring, they might not have been worshiping the God of the Bible. They might not have fully understood what they were doing or even why they were doing it. And yet under the instruction management from God's people, their work ultimately ended up furthering God's cause. Man, that's good. So that's, uh, yeah. that's the Vantillian approach. And I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. I appreciate that very much so. But it takes a lot of critical thinking on part of a Christian to understand and not just not to just say, oh, we're all working for the same thing. Yeah. No. Or or to flip it and say, no, we can't, you know, touch not uh, the unclean thing here. Uh, right. Um, so I just had Marcus Pittman on the show yesterday for the Tuesday twofer, and he's starting a new streaming service called Lore. Okay. And he said he welcomes non-Christian content creators. He didn't go into all the details of how it's going to work. There's some proprietary things that they're keeping secret as to how he's going to bring in content creators. But he said, look, if you want to come in and create content for lore, you're welcome to do it. You just got to play by our rules. And I said, I said, Marcus, are you just creating a parallel competing cancel culture to what the left is doing, to what the world is doing? And he goes, look, the difference is we're being upfront about it. And, yeah. and, and, oh no, you know what he said? He said, um, oh, here's what he said. He said, every religion has blasphemy laws. Right. And I thought that that was a great point. And I, I, I think I've heard Doug Wilson make that point. You know, there's that it's a great point. So Rafe, 
I would fully agree with you. And I would just say to, to clarify, or maybe to lay this out clearly, which is to clarify, we're welcome to partner with non-believers, but we're not going to play by their rules. They've got to play by God's rules. It's like that documentary that came out uh, by Founders Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, got, uh, by what standard? The subtitle was God's World, God's Rules. Right. So look, we've got to play by God's rules. They do too, if they're going to work with us. Right. We're not, uh, there is no neutrality in this world. We say it all the time. So that being said, yes, um, I think that it's very possible to partner. I love that that line. Every religion is blasphemy laws. Not only that, at the end of the day, every false worldview and every false idea will ultimately be canceled. I mean, that's that's how it ends, right? I mean, the, Jesus is right. the ultimate cancel culture. He, he will, he will, <laughs> he will eradicate and Amen. it will, it will be no more and will be forgotten. Amen. And so those, those will be done away with. Amen. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Um, All right. So what is, what is, uh, what, what, what analysis did you find? You were saying to me earlier, you found something real helpful and you've well, got to go soon. So I want you I to do, know. I do. And so I'm just going to drop this real quick. You know, I found this because my sister-in-law is, uh, homeschooling your kids and, uh, they, they, they came across Ken Ham's uh, scientific, uh, not scientific, science workbook for elementary school kids. And I was browsing it. We were on vacation together not that long ago. And I was browsing through the material. And one, I was just so struck. I, I really like Ken Ham's ministry. Answers in Genesis. I've always been a fan. I love just the work he does. Yeah. Uh, he is just, I, I like a lot of his stuff. And there's a ton of answers. I mean, if you're looking for a good place to just kind of get some information, it's a good spot to go. Yeah. Um, I haven't read every article, so if Joel, if you got another opinion, I apologize. But no, uh, I no, really no, no. appreciate all his I'm work. I'm with you. I, but I, I was, love. Yeah, I continue. I'm with. But you. I was going through this book, and I was struck by uh, his love of the environment, and he talks about this this stuff regularly. And and you know, I, I think one of the shames, and we, we we mentioned this earlier on, one of the shames is that sometimes uh, right wingers politically, which are oftentimes because of the moral majority of history associated with Christianity right-wingers politically are often associated with um, people who just outright, like it's almost like they don't care about the environment at all. And that really is a shame. And Ken Ham's done a really great job, not necessarily affirming that uh, climate change is real and happening from what I've read, uh, being open to the idea. Like I want to know what does the science say? Let's study. Is it real? And is there competing evidence that's being shunned by the scientific community? Because by the way, that happens all the time. Just because 99% of the, the leading scientists say something, that doesn't mean there's not good science leading the other direction. It just means that they have their own cancel culture within the scientific journaling community. That's right. And that is, that's evident all the time in all the literature. And so you, you, you really have to study and, and show yourself an approved workman of, of what the, the information is out there. But he does a great job of saying, Christians, slow down. Don't just jump on the bandwagon. And all of a sudden be someone who's accidentally or even intentionally saying, I don't care about the environment at all. Right. That's not good. And we started there. And I just want to make sure I finish there. And I would recommend his stuff. Actually, he's got a, uh, a quarterly newsletter he puts out. And based on what I was looking at this morning, I think this the newest one that's coming out is all on this topic. And so that could be a good little uh, little place to jump in there. Joel, I'm going to have to jump off this. Yep. I'm going to let you finish this without me. I got a little girl who needs to be picked up from school, but I always love coming on Worldview Wednesdays. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. All right. Just a quick reminder as Rafe is signing off here, go after you're done listening to this, go over to rafechenery.com slash podcast. And uh, Chenery is C-H-E-N-E-R-Y. You really want to listen. If you like Worldview Wednesday, 
you you will really like Rafe's podcast. It's called The Christian Optimist, and he covers worldview, apologetics, um, it's it's uh, it, cultural commentary. It's very good, very very good. All right, now that being said, I want to just summarize what we've been talking about, and that is, um, the question of is COVID nineteen Mother Nature's revenge? We haven't talked a ton about COVID-19 because you really don't have to when you understand this from a worldview perspective. When you understand that there is only one God, there is not a competing deity called Mother Nature, Gaia, or the environment, or anything like that, who controls, you know, uh, uh, viruses. Because here's the thing, if, if, if Mother Nature controls viruses, well, viruses, according to this worldview, evolved from, you know, the same sort of proto-life that we evolved from. So why wouldn't Mother Nature control us as well? Something to think about. But if Mother Nature were to control viruses and, and Mother Nature is paying us back for our mistreatment of the environment, then that would mean that there's a competing God to Yahweh. And there's not. There's only one God and he is almighty and he reigns. So there's only one God. Mother Nature is not a thing. Psalm 24, 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein. In other words, whether it's man, beast, plant, or virus, or anything else, it all belongs to God. And God has given everything over to his son. Jesus is Lord and Jesus does not share his glory with Mother Nature, man, or anyone else. And so we have not talked about solutions to any environmental crises that might be going on. We have strictly been addressing the question, could COVID-19 be payback from Mother Nature? Well, because Mother Nature is not a thing, the answer has to be no. Now, is COVID-19 a real problem? Obviously, yes. That's why we're having this conversation. Are there solutions that glorify Christ in how we address COVID-19? Yes, there must be. God is sovereign. He foreknew us. He foresaw what we were going to experience. And, and he has determined in advance how this will all play out. That's a whole nother, you, you, you might not agree with that statement, but listen, if you don't know by now, uh, Rafe and myself and, and uh, uh, those who host this show, we are Calvinists. We believe in the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty. So God is perfectly sovereign over this. Mother Nature is not. Now, one other question we did not address is, could COVID-19 be God's judgment? For great analysis on that, I want to just redirect you to back over to, um, to Rafe. Uh, let's see, Rafe Chenery's article, Is COVID-19 God's Judgment? That's over at rafechenery.com. He wrote that on April 15th, so you can check that out. Um, uh, he and I have talked about that as well. I think I did something with him and, and Dan Osborne back in the spring. So you can search the archives of the Think Institute podcast as well. Check that out. But um, but I want to just set your mind at ease. If you're concerned that Mother Nature is angry at us, Mother Nature is not angry. Mother Nature does not exist. However, the same Bible that says that God is sovereign also says that we have sinned. So while Mother Nature might not be mad at us, God has every right to be mad at us for our sin, including the sin of attributing natural disasters and pandemics to false deities. We live in a fallen world, but that fallen world is still ruled over by God. 
and it's to God that we have to give an account of our life. And we will, according to the Bible, we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. So what does that mean for us? It means that we had better have someone pay the debt that we owe God. And that is exactly what God did when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Mother Nature did not die for your sins. I wrote an article last year or the year before called, No, the universe does not have a wonderful plan for your life. But God does. Part of that plan obviously includes you hearing the gospel from Rafe and me today. So, just want to encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, repent, trust in Jesus today, receive him as your Savior and Lord, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, taking your punishment, and that he is Lord. He rose from the dead and he reigns over all creation today. And if you will receive him as your Savior and Lord, you will have no fear of condemnation from God or Mother Nature or anyone else because Jesus has taken your punishment for you. He became sin on your behalf so that you can become the very righteousness of God. Those are the closing thoughts I want to leave you with. I certainly hope that you heard something helpful. I know that I did, and I want to encourage you to support the Think Institute and our family ministry by simply going to um, give.crew.org. I'm trying to find uh, here we go. Give.crew.org slash 1018841. That is our giving link. You can go there. We are crew missionaries, uh, non-woke crew missionaries, in case that needs to be said. And um, you can also email any inquiries to thethink.institute at gmail.com. So this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. If you're just starting to watch or listen right now, I encourage you to go back once this is done broadcasting and uh, go back to the beginning and uh, watch the video in its entirety. Because if I do say so myself, I think it was a very good discussion between Rafe and me. It did get a little fiery. It got a little heated there at the beginning, but uh, we need to do that when we're talking about topics like attributing pandemics to false deities called mother nature. So give me a break. All right. Thethink.institute at gmail.com is where you can email all your inquiries or comments to. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Twitter. And don't forget to friend us on the YouVersion Bible app as well for biblical commentary and Proverbs of the Day. That's about all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think. Mm-hmm.